Hello and welcome to The Evaluator, a podcast by the Independent Evaluation Unit, IEU, of the Green Climate Fund, GCF, the world's largest multilateral climate fund. The IEU aims to conduct evaluations that will help make the GCF faster, smarter, and better. We are committed to collecting and producing high-quality evidence to inform policymaking within the GCF and the broader international climate finance arena, leading to better outcomes on the climate action front. The Evaluator brings you compelling insights on cutting-edge topics related to evaluation, climate action, and development, featuring experts from across the globe as well as from within the IEU. Today we bring you a story of how a German NGO is creating change in one of the most closed countries in the world. Hans Seidel Foundation is a German NGO with an office in South Korea who works to support the reconciliation process of North and South Korea. One of their focus areas is encouraging international collaboration with North Korea, whose official name is the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, or DPRK on environmental issues such as sustainable forestry. Here is Dr. Bernard Seliger of the Hans Seidel Foundation. So why should we talk about sustainable forestry? North Korea, uh, originally a country which um, had 80% forest cover, half of which are now um, severely either degraded or disappeared due to a number of factors, the main factors being uh, the breakdown of the old economic system in the early 1990s and the ensuing famine, or what the uh, North Korean side called the uh, arduous march. The term arduous march refers to a period of famine in the DPRK. It took place between 1994 and 1998 and coincided with a general economic crisis in the country. At that time, economic mismanagement and the loss of support from the Soviet Union coincided with devastating floods that destroyed crops and food stores. No one knows for sure how many deaths the famine caused, but estimates range from 220,000 to 3.5 million. To combat the loss of crops back then, people would clear forests in order to make space for more fields. But now the DPRK has a plan on restoring their forests. Currently, North Korea has a 10-year plan on afforestation where basically they want to cover all mountains. This started in 2015 and should be um, uh, ready in 2024. First phase of that is successfully concluded. And then they have a 20-year plan towards a more mixed forest. Increasing forests in the DPRK is important because the area is hugely important for biodiversity. Here's Dr. Bernard Seliger explaining why. It starts already in the southern part in the DMZ. It's so amazing from one kilometer to the next, how you see we have species there and we have a density of species. I think of birds like shrikes or so, which we don't see anywhere else anymore in the whole Yellow Sea area. And if you think that the Yellow Sea area, I think Doug said it is this bottleneck of migration, then we can see how important these few remaining sites we have because the population and industry pressure in South Korea is so much bigger and in China is so much bigger than in the North. And it, it's a race with the time, I would say, to explain to them and to help them to protect these areas so that at least one country or one part of the coast has still these more or less 
preserved wetlands and lagoon lakes, etc. And we really hope we can all work together on that and give them a, a reliable and sustainable perspective to do this protection because it's not only for them, it's for the whole flyway and in that sense for the whole world also, yeah. If we understand biodiversity as our common task. The loss of forest cover has implications not just for nature, but for people too. A forest can literally mean the difference between life and death. Whenever there's um, flooding or heavy rains coming up uh, and typhoons coming up, they are only rather minor in the northern part of uh, the Korean peninsula because most of the rain actually is much further south. Often the centers are in the Philippines and Japan and maybe southern part of South Korea. But due to the lack of the forest cover, we have here every year catastrophes which also cause the loss of life. And we had a village here north of Sombong, and you see a um, satellite image from before the flood and after the flood, and many lives, maybe 100 or more, were lost in this village alone. So we talk here about a matter of life and death for people. And another village was built very soon on the other side, but you see here the same problems. It's, it's a mountainside. We have uh, mountain slopeland agriculture. So we have no forest cover there. So when the next uh, stark rains come, strong rains coming, who knows how this village will fare. And clearly this is an issue of microclimate, but it also comes to uh, climate events on a larger scale. If you have more extreme climate events, it's especially uh, hurting uh, North Korea. And so we decided to work on this. So among the initiatives the Hansado Foundation is conducting is organizing study trips for students from DPRK to come to Germany and be trained on sustainable forestry. They also fund studies and publications about sustainable forest management. And they also go to North Korea themselves to train officials to reforest areas. Here, Dr. Bernard Seliger recounts one such experience. This is not very far from uh, Pyongyang. Still, it's uh, due to the lack of paved roads. It's a one and a half hour drive for maybe 25 kilometers there. And when we originally arrived in this um, place, uh, basically the hill which we were um, supposed to reforest around 100 hectare was completely devoid of any um, larger trees. There were a little bit smaller um, bushland, bushlands, but uh, the soil was considered too poor to have uh, real afforestation there. But fortunately, the nature is quite um, strong and can come back. And that's, by the way, an experience we also did, I mean, which South Korea also had, which in the 1960s embarked on afforestation. Reforestation in South Korea is a bit of a success story. A study by the UNDP Seoul Policy Center found that the country's total area occupied by trees increased from just over 60,000 cubic meters in 1967 to 925 million in 2015. They did this through five consecutive policy plans over more than 40 years. This has brought South Korea ecosystem service rewards in terms of benefits like climate change mitigation, water yield enhancement, soil erosion control, and disaster risk reduction. However, compared to in the South, Reforestation in the DPRK faces very different challenges. It's difficult to travel in and out of the country, and it's difficult to get information in and out too. 
However, Dr. Seliger says that there are plenty of reasons why we should be hopeful. Unfortunately, they don't have access to the internet yet, but they have their own intranet. And in, as part of this intranet, we um, supported the design and the building up of a website called Huangum Sun, which means Golden Mountain. It's a website on uh, all issues related to afforestation and sustainable forestry. And currently there have been more than 20,000 documents uploaded on afforestation, on forestry. A lot of uh, videos are there which have been subtitled, for example, from Japanese or from English into Korean. And uh, this website is now available in all the large universities of, of the countries like Kim Il-sung University or Kim Chek University, and also in many um, libraries of the provinces. So people can see them there. And also in certain parts of the forest administration, they are directly connected to this. And we uh, started that in 2015. And until last year, there were more than a million clicks on that website. So though it's a very specialized website in a country where universal access to uh, the intranet or to computers is not at all given, we have quite a lively use of this tool. That was another encouraging point for us. As you could imagine, the lack of financing is hurting reforestation activities and sanctions are making it more difficult for the foundation to achieve their goal of a reforested North Korea. One of the um, very important issues for us was also to bring foresters of North and South Korea together. And we did that in mixed international seminars since 2012, uh, more or less regularly. And we're very happy about this, that it was possible also to do training for both sides together. Uh, and then I want to come to some uh, challenges. And you see the first one is really sanctions. At the moment, it is very, very difficult to do any project at all. And I think some of the targeting of sanctions, it's a political issue, but I think it should be mentioned is obviously wrong because um, while we have widespread evasion of sanctions in certain countries and certain issues, often uh, humanitarian actors who are very transparent, among them from the US or from Europe, are targeted. Uh, and there would be maybe one possibility that we work for bulk exemption, that we say certain activities, be it humanitarian, medical now in the corona times, or be it uh, on forestry, could be exempted at all. Uh, also, there's a very dire need to create a clean finance channel for international projects. Currently, money is brought in cash into the country, which is very bad. And then the creation of denser relation is important. We um, invited uh, group from uh, North, uh, from uh, DPRK to the meeting of the UNFCCC in Katowice, I think it was uh, two years ago, and there was a meeting with the Green Climate Fund and we were very happy. And finally now North Korea also uh, designated a DNA. Dr. Seliger also emphasized the need for relations with the DPRK to be continuous in order to solve problems in the long term. There are a lot of model sites in the country already from 15 years of cooperation with the international community, but often there's no follow-up. So we had this experience also in South Korea where we had a number of forest projects, which were more or less one-time uh, measures or one-time events, and then there was no follow-up. And often these sites were degraded after a few years. And there's one example that was a, a central tree nursery in 2008 and 9 
after the political relations uh, soured between North and South, there was nobody anymore who was able to work with these solar panels, which were newly introduced into the country. And they were basically after one year standing around there and uh, were not useless and now they are long gone. So we want something else. We need a long-term and open relationship. And I think it can especially be achieved under the umbrella of international organizations. Uh, there is this popular, I would call it misconception that North Koreans only do international projects if they can receive uh, financial aid. Certainly material aid is not unimportant. It's for every country which uh, needs it, which is poor. But we see a number of issues where we clearly can say they have a genuine interest in developing their own ideas, which are non-financially motivated, which are partly motivated maybe by a greater integration into normal political relations with the international community. And also, I think, which are motivated by a genuine interest in biodiversity and protecting, you could call it the treasures of their own country. It is part of their policy. And I think uh, that makes our work with MOLAB, with the Ministry of Environment, so great that we don't feel they're used only or that this policy is something like a, a pretext only to, to gain access to resources. But it's really a policy which is very, very sincere and, and that makes working together also uh, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. As much as reforestation brings environmental and biodiversity benefits, Dr. Seliger also highlighted that forests need to have livelihood benefits too. Livelihood improvement, very important. We cannot say protect your forests and don't go into the forest mountain anymore and don't do uh, slope management. People would resent this and rightly, they need a livelihood improvement. So, and the same for wetlands. We cannot just say leave the wetlands alone, leave the reeds alone. We need to give them a perspective and that is now not easy for financial reasons and also for political reasons, given sanctions and everything. So the, ideally it would be a combination really of both saying we support farming communities, fishing communities, and at the same time teach them how to farm and fish sustainably. Since this is the evaluator, we also have to discuss evaluation. Because how does one go about evaluation of projects in a country where public data is so hard to come by? Well, I, I would say, first of all, uh, whenever you have a project, you need to put evaluation and monitoring from the beginning into the agreement. Because the flexibility in uh, DPRK is not very great. So if you come post factum, you have done an activity and say, suddenly we want to have access to this and this person or to this and this area, it might well be that they say, no, sorry, it's not possible. So you have really to have a clear understanding in the beginning. Then I would say once they accept it, it is very good. They really stick by it and try to fulfill uh, the spirit of, of, of an agreement. Second point, to show them international examples, not to single them out and say, because we are in DPRK or not giving them the feeling maybe to say, we have to control you, we have to, I mean, there are a lot of difficulties, you know, with money flows, with sanctions, etc. But to give, to show them also, for example, through international projects to say, this is normal, and that can be water bird monitoring, it can be uh, monitoring of forest development, or it can be remote sensing. We brought them a lot of examples how it is done in other countries, and then they accepted it. Or I remember for the CDM projects, which we did around 2010, 
for many years they said we cannot really do that put all the information on very sensitive things like our electric grid on the internet but finally they could do it and you find still six or seven projects are registered under the UNFCCC with data which you cannot find for any other um, project that were hydropower project mainly, uh, mainly in that country. So they do accept it if they see it's an international obligation rather than singling out them. There you have it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Evaluator by the Independent Evaluation Unit of the Green Climate Fund. We'll be back with more insights that matter for the evaluation and climate action communities. So stay tuned.